Welcome to the new episode of the BC Real Estate Review, a podcast that discusses the news, trends, and overall what's happening in the British Columbia real estate scene, with a primary focus in Vancouver. We want to take the view from both the real estate housing side, but also from the mortgage side. We want to provide a full overview of the real estate scene with good education, solid tips that can help you make sense of everything as you move along your own home buying journey. Building wealth is something nearly everyone wants to do. In an expensive city like Vancouver, BC, that can be a difficult endeavor. Many people often don't know where to start and as a result live paycheck to paycheck and see opportunities just pass them by. Well, what are the options that are out there? How can people utilize opportunities and build their wealth for themselves and more importantly for their families? My guest today is Laurent Monnier, a PFA advisor with Safe Pacific. He is an expert on building wealth for his clients. So we're trying to dive in and pick his brain a little bit so we can all get a little bit of information. Laurent, it's your time here, so say hi. All right. Hi, Jordan, and uh, hi to everyone who's listening on, on the podcast today. I'm really uh, thrilled to be here, and I, I'm excited to be here and in your ear for the next little while. I appreciate that. Thank you. And so, you know, tell me a little bit more about yourself so people can kind of get a <laughs> grasp of who you are and what you're all about. All right. So I have been uh, a professional financial advisor um, and doing this. I'm a partner at Safe Pacific Financial here in Vancouver since 2011. So um, we've been doing this for tw- for 11 years now and really never thought in my entire life that I would get it. And we really focus on the insurance side of like the financial world. And I never thought in my entire life that I would ever be excited about life insurance. It's just not something that uh, that would have vibed with my previous life, which was much more exciting in events and concerts and nightclubs and fashion shows and raves and all that kind of stuff. But then when I found how it works and and really um, a strategy where you can use certain types of insurance and leverage them, I was just like, oh my God, like why don't I, I thought I was a smart guy. Uh, you know, I was doing the stuff you're supposed to do. I was putting mutual funds into an RRSP for myself and, you know, doing what the bank tells you to do. But um, once I figured out that you could leverage these policies and you know, grow your money basically in two places um, with a lot of freedom. Uh, I was like, why have I never heard of this before? And why isn't everybody doing this? And really that's kind of what started my journey on, on this path. Um, and what's actually made me found the company with my business partner, Robert, and we've been doing it ever since. We've got hundreds of clients all across Canada. Uh, we're licensed to work with you in BC, Alberta and Ontario. And then we have other like advisors that we partner with if you're in a different province that we can send you to. That's amazing. So when you're kind of talking about it, I heard you mention a few things there. And one of the things was one, leverage. The other one was insurance. And overall, what I want to know or what people are going to want to know is, I know it's a term that we hear all the time. So can you break down exactly what is leverage and how can you use it per se? Yeah, exactly. This fits exactly perfectly onto a mortgage broker podcast, right? So leverage is just being able to use an asset and then get credit against it. So in the most simple way, you know, in a real estate way, you've got uh, leverage against a house, which would be like a mortgage or like a home equity line of credit, a HELOC. Those are ways to leverage a house. And then in, in my world, you can do the same thing with an insurance policy. So you don't need the house part. You just need a piece of paper um, and you can get really high loan to value 
uh, loans against the right type of life insurance policies, you know, 70, 80, 90, or even 100% loan to value, depending on how we set these things up and depending on what insurance company or bank that we're working with. Are you saying then in this situation, is that something similar like that would be like, instead of securing it against your home per se, it's securing it essentially against like the correct life insurance policy of say eight years. Yeah. So the way it works is um, what we do, there's a couple of ways to do it. And what we really specialize in is we use what's called a whole life participating insurance policy. So it's like that's the like official, you know, industry jargon for what it's called. But it's an insurance policy you're going to buy and you're going to keep it forever until you die. Right. So generally people buy it like the cheapest insurance they can get, which is term insurance, which is good for you for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or until you're age 65 or whatever. There's different versions of that. But these ones, it's what's called a permanent policy. So you're going to keep it forever. It comes with two parts to the account. So one is the insurance, uh, which everybody understands, you know, if you pass away, the money goes to your beneficiary. The other part of the account is what's called a cash surrender value. And so you're able to put a lot of cash into these policies and that's the part that that secures the loan right so you can get what we generally set up for people is a line of credit against it and then the reason that it works is because it's such a secure and stable asset right so a it's cash that's invested in what's called the participating account that's the participating part of the whole life participating policy so the participating account is a pool of funds that the insurance company invests and because it's an insurance company, it's invested usually pretty conservatively. You know, it's buying a lot of government bonds. It's actually buying real estate, like commercial real estate. It's, some of them are starting to invest more into real estate and equities. And that's the participating account, right? And it's a very secure and stable investment account. The other benefit is once cash hits your cash surrender value, it's immediately vested and guaranteed. So it'll never go down, right? So when you bring this type of thing to a bank where you're like, here's a giant pile of cash that grows, right? And it's growing because it's earning a dividend as the insurance company properly invests the money, it generates you know, a return. And then that return gets distributed to the people who own these policies in the way of a dividend. Right. And so when, you go to a, so when you go to a bank and you say, hey, I have this cash surrender value that's growing with a dividend, that also any money that ever hits that account is immediately vested and immediately guaranteed. Will you lend me against that? They generally say yes. And the bank will, or the insurance company will usually lend you more loan to value on these policies than they will even on a house, right? Like on a house, you get 70, 80%, sometimes 60% loan to value. Whereas here, you know, we start at 70, 80%. Um, and for the right type of setting it up correctly, like you can, you can get a hundred percent of your cash surrender value. And sometimes you can even get a hundred percent of your premiums. So it's it, for the right type of people, which is definitely not everybody, but for the right type of people, it's a no brainer. I have a couple of questions then is sure. if, let's say, let's say I take the money out. Let's say I, I take the, like, let's say I, I, we have a policy and I, you know, and I have an opportunity to take out say $50,000 picked up a number and so with that fifty thousand dollars what happens to it exactly like i i just get cash in my account so to speak or how does the process work and then ultimately what happens to the whole you know debt servicing type idea because of course if you take out a loan of fifty thousand dollars from elsewhere then how does how does it differ in between the in between those two things okay so i want to just clarify 
it's a technicality, but so you're saying take the money out. So in when we set these things up, we we never want to take the money out. So the money that's in your cash value that's growing with the dividend, um, it grows on a tax deferred basis. So you're not paying taxes on that dividend until you withdraw it. But then we suggest you never withdraw it because if you need the liquidity, you leverage it. So it would be the same as like taking money out of your house versus setting up a HELOC and having like a separate credit facility that that you use. Um, so we're not taking the money out, but we're leveraging against it. So um, just for an example, like your $50,000 example, um, say they, you, you own this policy, you had that cash in it, and then a bank is going to say, okay, well, you've got 50000 in your policy, I'll give you a $50,000 line of credit. That's it. They, you, you do whatever you want with it. It's a line of credit. Generally, for our clients, we're dealing more with professionals and we're dealing with entrepreneurial type of people and people who want to invest so we're very heavy on them uh, and we highly suggest that they invest but you could technically go buy whatever you know new shoes or new purse or whatever you want with it um, <clears throat> and you, your debt service would be similar to a line of credit it would be from whatever the rules at the bank are which are generally you just have to service the interest and um, we're getting these loans for people anywhere from prime to, you know, prime plus 0.5, prime plus one, up to maybe prime plus two is kind of the top, right? So you're getting this loan at like today, kind of like up to four and a half percent, but even like none of our clients are paying that. All of our clients are generally at, you know, prime, prime plus 0.5. And then if you get into like really big volume, like, you know, you're, you're, you're hitting like millions of dollars, um, you can do prime minus with certain banks. Right. So, okay. So you're saying is, is that I can leverage this money, then this $50,000 or whichever. And then mm. as a, and then it becomes, so to speak, the, the bank sees that and goes, okay, you have $50,000 in this policy. We will provide you a $50,000 loan per se, like line of credit. So then I can use this money because now it's only the, the rate is say prime plus one or whichever. If I can put it, invest it into something that will have a, a higher return, well, therefore, I'm earning money on my on my debt, so to speak, and then I'm I'm net valuing myself a higher return than I would have been in the debt. So, therefore, I'm you know earning money. Yes, and take that one step further, because you haven't withdrawn any money from your policy, that policy continues to earn the dividend. So you're earning money through the dividend in the policy. And then when you leverage it and you invested it somewhere else, you're also earning there. So now you're using your $1 in two different places. Wow. And you're paying prime plus a little bit, which if you're, you know, obviously I'm not an accountant, this is not accounting advice, but you know, when you borrow to invest, you can write off the interest. Right. And plus you also have the tax benefit that we talked about that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. The, the, the dividend that's inside the policy is growing tax deferred until you withdraw it. But in this case, you never withdraw it. You always, when you need it, you just borrow it from the line of credit. Yeah, of course. And then whatever dividend, and if say theoretically you got a dividend, as we talked about, which mm -hmm. pays out every year or whichever, you can use that to essentially, if you choose to pay off your line of credit, and then you're playing essentially with house money in, in some ways. Is that correct? Basically, yeah. And so actually, this is one thing that any insurance company would say is they say you can never promise that there's going to be a dividend in the future and of course. you know, forward looking statements, all that. But 
you know, Canada Life, Sun Life, Manulife, they, you know, Equitable Life have all been paying a dividend every single year for more than a hundred years, each of them, and they've never missed, right? So that includes world wars, that includes great depressions, that includes, you know, OPEC embargoes, that includes everything, it includes the crash in 2008, it includes, um, but I can't promise that they'll pay a dividend in the future. But if you look at the track record, it's been there for more than a hundred years. Also, if they didn't pay a dividend in the future on these policies, it would be disastrous for the company. So um, they will do everything in their power to make sure that they do. Um, and they also have huge reserves and they they use a process of smoothing when they pay this dividend. So, you know, whatever that participating account return is, they don't, if the return is low, they top it up. If the return is very high, they don't pay out the whole amount. They, they pay out... Uh, they pay out a smoothed amount so that they have a reserve to top it up if they need to. Um, the 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 volatility on that dividend is very very low. Like the uh, the standard deviation on it is very very low. You know, it's actually it's less volatile than a five year GIC over the last forty years. Wow, that is a, and there's a re that that's that's significant and there's a reason for why. I, you hear that say Warren Buffett, who, as far as I can tell, has done pretty well when it all things considered when mm-hmm. it comes to these kind of money things, is that he always says that his view on insurance in this kind of way is is used for his cash flow. Like it's his safest place to put his money. That yes. he uses it to cash flow, essentially, because he knows the dividend is coming. He just like obviously he doesn't 100 percent, but he's pretty confident. Mm-hmm. And I use his track record to assume that he probably knows what he's talking about. Yeah, and he ends up buying the insurance company. Like he's right. you know, he owns Geico in the states, and uh, right. Yeah, so it's uh, yeah he 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 likes insurance, right? And makes sense. Why wouldn't yeah. you? Um, and at the same time, so then how can somebody use say life insurance to say let's use an example and and buy a home with it? Yeah. Say, for I'll give you a couple examples actually. Um, I'll give you some very current examples. So uh, when COVID hit. In March 2020, and the markets crashed. Uh, one of our clients made the best move you could possibly make. So he had been putting in money into his insurance policy for a couple of years. He had about, at the time, about six, seven hundred thousand dollars inside his insurance policy. Very smart guy. Um, you know, I'm not worried about him borrowing six hundred thousand and investing it and, and blowing it up. Like he's, he, he knows what he's doing. Um, so at that time in March, he actually leveraged his insurance policy to the max. So he took a loan of 600000 from the bank uh, and uh, bought into the market. And he didn't even do anything crazy, right? Like, you know, he literally, he, he bought like Suncor and uh, CIBC and two other Canadian bank stocks that also pay dividends. Um, and you know that the market rebounded uh, within you know seven eight nine months and he essentially doubled his money took half of it paid back the loan and he ended up with a free blue chip dividend paying portfolio on one side and a fully funded insurance policy on the other side and a fresh line of credit that he can do it again whenever he wants plus um those bank stocks uh are paying him 60 grand a year just in dividends that he's now getting for free uh, that will continue forever if he does you know as long as he doesn't sell those um so that's one thing it's you get 
uh, we call it um, we like in our in internal company parlance we call it uh, having a bullet fund right so you know when it's time to take a shot you need a bullet so having this there uh, he did it and that and that is like the prime example like you should that's exactly what you should do um, as far as a house uh, I didn't I'll give you my own personal story like this. I literally just did this last year. Uh, I didn't use it to buy the house, but we bought a house and, you know, I don't have too many millions of dollars yet. So the house that we bought was from the <laughs> early seventies and it had never been renovated and it needed a full renovation. It had asbestos, all of that stuff. So, you know, we had significant, we, we put in significant work into the house, right? Like six figures of work. And I borrowed a hundred, I just paid it back yesterday, actually, I borrowed $102,000 uh, from my insurance policy uh, to pay for home renovations. So I don't know exactly what I paid for. And like, it went somewhere, but it's in the contractor, or it's in the wood, or it's in the pipes, or it's in the electrical, or it's, it's in the asbestos abatement. But uh, 102 grand out of my insurance policy went into this house. But, uh, you know, you could also do the same kind of leverage and it doesn't have to be anything crazy. You know, you could just buy like a, like an index fund or a, and, and it works, right? You just need to be making more than prime, which isn't too difficult if you're, you know, if you're exposed to equities or even if you're lending, right? Like if you have this line of credit that you can set up at prime and you can turn around and lend it to somebody else at more than prime, then, uh, then you're ahead. Right. So, um, so actually I'll give you a, another really good story about a, a client of ours. So he sells commodities, you know, like, like train loads of commodities at a time in his company, he needs to keep just a float of about $3 million because, um, he buys it and sells it and then he doesn't get paid for 60 days. Right. So he still has to buy the stuff, put it on a train and ship it and then wait for the money. So he's got this money sitting in his company and he's like, I wish I could do something with it, but I can't, but I need it there because I have to float the inventory. And so what we actually did is um, it was a little bit of restructuring and we set up, uh, well, not we did, we, in, we introduced him to a lawyer and the lawyer set up a holding company for him. We flowed the money from his operating company to his holding company as an intercompany dividend and then we use the insurance to wrap all of that up. So then now he has this insurance in his own personal holding company. And then he's set up a line of credit with the bank. So he gets the money at 2.45 right now. And, um, and then he turns around and lends that back to his operating company. So he's got the ability, his big problem or not problem, but like what he really wanted to do was he said, this money's sitting here in my account and I can't do anything with it. And I would like to invest it. And um, so now it's invested in the insurance company. And this year he's going to earn 6% on it. But wow. then at the same time, he's turning around and lending it back to his operating company. And, you know, he's charging them. He's not charging like, like overcharging or anything. He's charging a very reasonable rate. And then what that also has done is it's taken that cash out of his operating company and put it in his holding company because this is his retained earnings that he's built up over time. Like it's his money. And it also separates it from the operating company. So it makes your operating company a little bit leaner and cleaner and it removes a little bit of liability. Like if something ever goes wrong and somebody sues his operating company, he's got a couple million dollars in there, it's vulnerable. So now it's separated by one degree it's in a holding company and then it's also wrapped up in insurance so it's got like two firewalls on it uh, that doesn't mean it's impenetrable 
but of you've course. got two firewalls on there that that would be pretty tough to get through. Um, so that's like a great story. That's a, an ideal type of situation, right? Where you have like a like really high expenses that come up, but you want to invest the money, but you can't because you need the money. So like maybe you're buying like really expensive machinery or like really expensive trucks or something like that. Or in this case, he's floating inventory, like he's floating train loads of inventory at a time a few times a year. Another good one, actually, this one's very, very simple. So this is a client of ours uh, that runs a MIC like a mortgage investment corp. And so um, he's, he's profitable. He makes good money every year. And uh, we've done the same thing. We put the insurance in his holding company. Uh, we put the retained earnings inside the insurance. He borrows the money from the bank and then he puts it back into his own MIC that he controls. And so he's like, I take the money at 2.45 right now at prime. And he's like, I put it in my own MIC. I make 9% and like, it's all, it's all in my own like little ecosystem, of course, uh, right? So, and he's not he's not worried about the mech. He's like, I control the mech. He's I know exactly what's in it. I know every single house that's in it, right? And I, I know I and he has the like he owns the contracts. He owns all the paperwork, right? So, it's for him. It's very not risky. Of course, well, and, and investing in real estate in general, in in Vancouver mm -hmm. especially, uh, not a risky move overall. I mean, of course, there are some risks, but in general, it's a pretty safe investment, which is why it's. Always oh, so consistently, you know, moving <laughs> forward. But at the same time, I, I kind of want to walk back a little bit to your your story about your own personal construction and mortgage and, and all that. Yeah. Uh, I, one of the things you mentioned was you took the money out and then you just paid it back. And then you right. paid back the $102,000. One of the things that, that really caught me was that you mentioned that you were able to use the $102,000. You used it for your construction and renovations. And then you and then you paid it back. At the same time, I want to be very clear, at the same time, you were still earning money, essentially, from the original amount of money, right? The Because the, yeah. uh, you're leveraging it, as we pointed out earlier. You're not taking out the money. You are leveraging the 102. And then once you've gotten that money back, okay, you paid back your loan. Meanwhile, your insurance or whichever is still paying out that dividend where you're still consistently earning money anyway. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's an extremely effective strategy, I would yeah. imagine. Well, if you take that and expand on it a little bit, right? Imagine if every dollar, if you still had every dollar you'd ever saved, right? Because traditionally what happens when you buy things is, you know, you like most people store their money in a bank account, but this is storing your money in an insurance policy instead. Um, so, you know, you have your money in a bank account and say you save up 10 grand and you spend 10 grand. Now you're at zero. You're not earning any, well, you're not earning any interest from a bank anyways, but um you know, you save up your 10 grand, you spend it, you're at zero. You save up your 10 grand, you spend it, you're at zero. In this case, you save up your 10 grand, you don't spend it, you leverage it. The bank creates you new money and your 10 grand still in there earning the dividend. And then you put another 10 grand in the next year. So now you have 20. And so imagine if all of your savings was still there since forever. And whenever you needed money, you just leveraged it. Right. So you never actually spend your principal and then your principal continues to earn that dividend. The compounding effect on that is insane and it's very hard to compete with. I would imagine. I would imagine that's exactly what, you know, say the Elon Musk's of the world are doing. Right. I mean, like they're like you hear this all the time is, quote unquote, I love debt and people are, exactly. are afraid of that. And it's like what they've missed in that conversation and they and maybe they don't share it on purpose, essentially, is that they don't love debt per se, but they leverage their debt mm -hmm. to make more. 
and it's not and instead of you know using a dollar to get a dollar 10 you are using a dollar to get a dollar 10 and then keeping that dollar to use it again exactly yeah and with somebody like elon like I doubt he's doing it with insurance. He's leveraging his stock portfolio, right? So he's got all these Tesla shares that he can just collateralize to a bank. And then the bank will say, yeah, you've got, I don't know how many billions of dollars worth of shares. Of course, we're going to give you a few hundred million dollars. No problem. Right? Like exactly. All day. Um, right. And then, he, and then he puts it into something, say, mm -hmm. for, say he puts a million dollars into something, earns more than it was. So then it was like in a year or two or whichever later, you know, down the line, he now earns, he now has 1.5. Okay. He'll put that 1 million back to the, back to the bank. And now he has $500,000 of newly created money, essentially from the leverage that he did with the bank from, which really wasn't his own money is in the grand scheme of things. I mean, of course it is, but you know what I mean? Like in the, in the context of what we're saying here, it's, it's money that he was able to leverage. Is that correct? That's exactly correct. And you know, what's cool is we've only been talking about the making money part of it, but we haven't actually even talked about the saving tax part of it, right? Because when please, like debt is not taxable, when you're taking a line of credit from a bank, you don't pay tax on that. So let's use Elon's example. If he wasn't using the debt strategy, he would have to sell some of those shares to give him cash to spend on whatever he wants to spend on. So say he needs a couple million dollars this year. Well, he's going to have to sell a couple million dollars of shares. There's going to be some sort of capital gain on that. Probably if he made money, if it, like if the stock went up, which I, it has since he's owned it since the beginning. And then in, in like all of these cases, right, you, you wrap the money up in the insurance, it's growing on a tax deferred basis. And then when you want to actually use the money, in a traditional sense, you would have to sell some of that investment or you would have to you'd have to like liquidate something somewhere. And that's usually a taxable event. And, you know, depending on if it's a dividend or a capital gain or income or interest or whatever, like whatever type of of taxable event that is. But when you're taking a loan against it, that's not a taxable event, right? Like loans aren't taxable. Right. So you're making more money, you're keeping your money, it's compounding more and for longer, plus you're not paying tax while you're using it. Amazing. So, And I'm not an accountant. You should talk to your accountant for tax advice. This is not tax advice, but course, that's the concept. It's, it seems like an overall good strategy. So mm -hmm. I guess the next obvious question is, uh, how can I get started? Right. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we do this all day, every day. We've got clients all over across Canada. Um, this is why we started the company. This is something I like I could, if you had like a six day podcast on this, I could talk for six days on this. But yeah, if you go to our website, it's safepacific.com. You can see our pretty faces on there. Safepacific.com slash contact will be our contact form. If you fill that out, it'll come straight to me. I'll reply within 24 hours. Uh, you can also see some videos on this that go a little bit more deep on youtube.com slash safe pacific and um, we're on all the socials right the facebook the instagram the linkedin and things like that and uh yeah it's this is a it's a good strategy for people who are financially stable and who have the financial literacy to be able to understand it there are other people you know now with tiktok videos and youtube videos like there's a lot of people trying to like push this kind of strategy that really shouldn't be doing it um, because, you know, we are talking about debt. We're talking about leveraging to invest, which adds elements of risk. You know, you got to finance this thing. you got to be able to service the debt. So, um, you know, some people really should not ever do this ever. Uh, and some people, maybe they shouldn't do it right now, but they maybe will do it soon uh, once their situation puts them into a good spot.
Well, then that's that's a good question. Then is then what is the sort of the magic dollar figure that you should start? I mean, of course, everyone's different, and I get all that. But yeah. what is the what is the what is the usual starting point of how you can you know get this get the ball rolling? When when is your ideal person going to reach out to you and say, hey? I want to do, I want to set up this life insurance policy and, and, and set it up and start growing my wealth and start building wealth for myself. How, how do you recommend that get going? Okay. So the answer to all of these questions is going to be, it depends, but I'll give you a couple of different answers here. So one is, and it'll, and really what depends is where do you borrow the money from? Are you borrowing it from the insurance company directly or are you borrowing it from a bank? So if you're borrowing directly from the insurance company, this is the easiest way to do it. And I would say as an adult, uh, you want to be saving a minimum of $1,000 a month into one of these policies. And really, it should be much more than that. But like at a minimum level, if you can't commit to saving $1,000 a month for like 10 years, where that's not going to be a problem for you, regardless of if the economy crashes or whatever. Um, because otherwise, like the insurance kind of eats up too much of it and it just doesn't become worth it. Um, so that's kind of like the minimum. When you want to start going to borrow money from a bank, like you want to leverage your insurance policy with a bank, you get, uh, you'll usually get like a lower interest rate that you pay. Um, and it operates as a line of credit. Like you just get more access. There's, there's advantages. There's also disadvantages, disadvantage. You got to work with a bank. Um, but, uh, there you can work with some banks. They will do it with a minimum of 50,000 a year. Um, there's another bank we work with. That's a minimum of a hundred thousand a year. And then kind of like the big, big banks, their minimums are 300,000 a year because, uh, the people like the lenders inside the bank, like your a bank teller won't know what you're talking about if you go and talk to them about this. And like your bank mortgage specialist is not at all going to be able to help you with this. This lending goes through either private banking. So you need to qualify for private banking um, or it goes through commercial banking. And then commercial banking is like on the next level after private banking. Um, so there they want, you know, depending on the bank, like a hundred thousand or $300,000 a year as a minimum. And even there, you like, when you roll in like that, like you're like a small punter where, um, you know, we're talking to some of these guys and, you know, some of the, some people are putting like two, $3 million a year. Uh, we just were sitting with one of these bankers. He's underwriting a loan right now uh, for $750 million against somebody's insurance policy. Right. Wow. And that's going to be paid in three years. So essentially this person is putting in, $250 million a year into an insurance policy that they're giving to the bank and the bank is turning around and giving them $750 million. Rich, of course, then now, then in this, in this storyline that they're in the store that we're talking about here is they could theoretically use that <clears throat> money and then leverage it and use it on something else, blue chip stocks or mm. real estate or, or whatever they choose to do as long as, and then that money that they've earned is now was a loan. So as long that's paid back, but then they're still earning the dividend or whichever it is from their insurance policies or, or whichever yeah. to build this out. Exactly. And at the end of the day, it's ins it's life insurance too. So the person who's doing this is going to have a large estate need, right? Like they're going to have probably a massive tax bill when they die. Um, and so this insurance is going to pay out uh, quickly. Uh, it's probably going to go, I don't know what, I don't know who this person is. I'm not hanging around with too many billionaires these days, but um uh, this is this is going to go to fund an estate. It's going to fund like a giant legacy for their family for a really long time um, at the end of everything. Right. Plus, they got to use it while they were alive. They, there's there's a lot of advantages to doing it, to setting this system up. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I get you. Absolutely. That's amazing. And, and I appreciate you being on, on board here. So can yeah, you share with me, here. what I always want to ask at the very end here is, tell me that best story ever where somebody came to you and wanted to know a lot about what's going on and how you were able to help them, you know, get themselves out of a situation or really capitalize on their goals. What what are, mm -hmm. what's, can you tell me one of those stories? Well, I think the one that I like the best is our client who bought in at the bottom of the market when COVID crashed everything. Like that's yeah. like brilliant. But I'll just, again, I'll give you my own personal story. You know, 11 years ago, when I started this, I had a bunch of debt. And uh, what I did is I actually used one of these policies to swap it out. So what I did is, you know, when you're paying off debt, <clears throat> The bank obviously wants you to give all of the money to them and not save it. They always say, you know, you should put all of your money towards paying off the debt, but then you get to the end and you have nothing and um, probably you're going to go back into debt. So we usually tell people that you should pay your debt, but save at the same time so that when you get to the end, that you at least have something. What I did is I actually put the money into the insurance policy and then every year I would take a loan against the insurance policy and put a big chunk towards the debt. And I did that for like a few years and managed to basically swap my debt out from, you know, very, very high credit card debt to essentially a line of credit with the insurance company that was significantly lower. And then I just paid that out over time. Right. That you essentially consolidated your debt. That's why a lot of people say take out yeah. a home equity line of credit where the rate is, say, prime plus one or prime plus 0.5 or whichever in comparison you're paying off this credit card debt of uh, 18%. That's a exactly. far more reasonable thing to do, right? But at that time, I didn't have any sort of home to get the equity line, right? So what I was using, I was just using cash to fund the insurance policy. And then I would take the money from the insurance policy and pay off the credit cards. Right, which makes sense. Yeah, then so you're, a, you're able to do it on a much smaller basis, right? It's a fabulous policy and a great strategy. Thank you. I still have it. Really? Oh, yeah. Good for you. But you're still, but you're still doing it, right? Oh no, no. Like the debt's gone, but I still have that insurance policy. I'll have that until I die. Exactly. And it's yeah. and it's a and it obviously is working well. And you may use it for something else, and that's yeah. kind of the point. <clears throat> yeah, that's the policy that I use for the renovation. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you so much, Laurent. I really appreciate it. So let me know. Let let people know how people can get a hold of you fairly quickly. Uh, go on our website, safepacific.com/contact. Or on our YouTube channel, you can see videos about this, youtube.com slash safe Pacific. Those are the two best ways to get a hold of us. Um, and if you fill out the contact form, it comes directly to me and I'll reply quickly. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. And now, of course, if anyone wants to get a hold of me for your mortgage or mortgage help or how to build wealth through your mortgage property, uh, let me know. And I'm always happy to help. So feel free to connect with me on kofskymortgage.ca. And I'm always around and happy to answer any questions. So thanks very much, very much, Laurent. I appreciate it. And I hope you have an amazing day. You too, George. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.